in our fourth week uh, of looking at this series put together by Exponential and us uh, adding our contribution to it as well. But we are better together today as a team, as Pastor Betty looked last week, better together as a family. Recently, the Toronto Raptors have added the win streak to their growing list of historical achievements. The defending NBA champions took care of business by defending the Minnesota Timberwolves by a final score of 137 to 126 at the Scotiabank Arena prior to the All-Star break, which we had last weekend. That win marked their 15th win in a row as a team. And they hadn't lost the game since January 12th until just before the break. But uh, they set a Canadian record for the most consecutive wins in a row. Uh, There's no other team in Canadian sports, no NHL team, no Leafs, no Canadians, no Canucks, no Senators, and the teams from Alberta, the Flames, and whatever that Edmonton team is, (laughs) Oilers. No professional baseball team like the Toronto Blue Jays, even though they have two World Series to their credit, or the Major League Soccer, even though Toronto has a championship as well, or any CFL team has ever won 15 games in a row. And it took a bunch of people brought together that did not have a good, uh, I guess, outlook from the critics at the beginning of the season because they lost one of their star players, or a couple of them, actually, after they won the NBA Defending Championship. And a lot of people did not have confidence in them, but they showed us again that if they work together, they can accomplish something great. And in the midst of this season, they, they are showing that they are better than what the people thought they were. They haven't fallen apart. And they did come, that winning streak did come to an end before the All-Star break, and they, and they lost two of all teams, the Brooklyn Nets. But anyway, they picked up the winning streak again. Well, I've said all this to say that in the body of Christ, that Pastor Betty has already read the scriptures for today, that teamwork is important. We need each other. It's not about how many superstars we lose or leave or have to go anywhere else. It's about who's ever left to trust God, that together he will make us a better body, a better team to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. See, God's great collaboration is made up of teams with people with unique gifts and callings. He starts the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with the gifts of the Spirit and how God gives each one a gift. And one gift is not above the other gift, but all the gifts are used for the common good. They're not used to boast our own superiority over someone else. They are used to build us up in the faith. We are not meant to fly slow, solo that I don't need the church, I can do what I want, and I can follow Jesus as a solo. No, there's no such thing as following Jesus as a solo person. Even Jesus had 12 disciples that called other disciples because you cannot look at the story of Jesus without looking at a body, a team, a family, whatever metaphor that you want to call it. And it needs to function collaboratively. That means all of us pitching in together. N.T. Wright says these words, the church is to be the place where together we learn how to be God's genuinely human beings. 
To be human is not a bad thing. God created us. So stop saying we are only human. We are only human. We are only human. God doesn't say that to you. God says, you are human. I created you. And this is what you can be. He doesn't pick on us or downsize us. We are to reflect his image in the world. And he doesn't speak of the church's body. We are Christ's body. Follow that? We are members of his body. Those who belong to Jesus the Messiah are the true body of Christ. God is speaking to the Apostle Paul to speak to the Corinthians. In both of his letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and there's another letter to the Corinthians that got lost somewhere. But in both letters, Paul is speaking to a divided church. To a church that has some, for some have decided to follow Apollos, and some have decided to follow Peter, and some have decided to follow Paul, and some have decided to follow people that aren't even mentioned in the letters. And they're following humans instead of following the one that's the head of the body, the the God-man, Christ Jesus. And that's what's happening there. And Paul, in writing this letter to them when he gets to this part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and he finishes in chapter 14 and that's why the love chapter is so important because it's supposed to bring the body of Christ together that's its purpose there he's trying to establish that each and every member of the team has a responsibility for Paul the church is not the place where people are torn down the church is not the place where we dehumanize each other The body of Christ is a place that we are to elevate each other, to restore dignity to each other, to build up the body of Christ so that it will be worthy of glory and honor to its head, Jesus Christ. It's a place not only where the strong are, but where the strong and the weak live together, work together, do ministry together. Pastor Betty already spoke about that. We are baptized by one spirit. That's the only way that you can become part of the body of Christ, is to be baptized in the spirit of God. And the body's not made up one part, but of many parts. And then at the end of it, she, she read these words. So that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, hello, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Jesus says, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't you think that the Apostle Paul was influenced by the words of Jesus here? For Paul, the imagery of the body of Christ reveals two important things for us to learn. The importance of unity and the importance of diversity. And we become part of this one body, this unity, through the diversity of who we are. Whatever backgrounds we bring into the body of Christ, whatever language group we bring into the body of Christ, whatever ethnic customs we bring into this body of Christ, every part matters for God. Does it for you? Every part matters for God. Scott McKnight adds, the church God wants is brimming with difference, not sameness, but difference. Brimming, overflowing. You get that picture of something overflowing or a fountain bubbling up? It's brimming with difference. I like what Sam Chad said. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. 
It is the work of the Spirit of God to create this new future-oriented fellowship that transcends both race, Pastor Betty read it earlier, no Jew, no Greek. It transcends those categories. It transcends the categories of the socioeconomic status that we put on each other. There is neither slave or free. There's neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. We are his body, and he is our head. God's team is being built by the Spirit of God. Yet it takes teamwork. When we say teamwork, there is divine initiative and there is human participation. We don't just sit here and expect God to do everything. We've been going through the book of Exodus in the evening. And the books of Exodus is a story of how the people of God, after God frees them, and Pastor Betty be looking at that passage this evening when the Red Sea splits and they got to enter through the wilderness. God freed them, but now they have to do their work. God created creation and the world and the global world and the universe and all that. But then when the people of Israel are called to build the tabernacle, it's a mini universe that they all created. So God creates and then God invites you to create with him. That's the biblical story. Jesus did the same thing. He healed the sick. He drove demons out, and then he told his disciples, now you go do it. So there is a God initiative and a human invitation to participate in what God wants them to do, and that's what God is doing as he wants us to build a team. The first thing that we learn here is that great teams are committed to God. That's before anything else. We need commitment to God. We need surrender to God. Or in the language of the evangelicals, you must be born again. You must be born from above. So Paul employs a metaphor here about the body of Christ that's already prevalent in their society. The Greek philosophers are already disgusted, but he's going to bring it to a different level. He's going to apply that image that the society already knows about a body and how a body functions and how that reflects the society. He's going to bring it to the song and dance of Jesus the Messiah. He's going to bring it to reflect what Christ has done in his time on earth. And, and he says, in Christ, all hierarchy status are leveled. Hello? In Christ, all hierarchy status are leveled. No one is allowed to say, I don't need you. And the other one, I don't need you. <laughs> Paul is saying that's maybe how the society looks at the body where the strong overpower the weak. But that's not how the body is supposed to function. Together in Christ, we need to move through the Spirit. The best of teams are made of leaders like Paul, who says, follow my example as I follow Christ. Hello? The first loyalty of every team member must be to Christ and Him alone. Christ before the church body. Christ before the spouse, Christ before the children, Christ. Our commitment has to be to Christ first. When the primary commitment is the cause ra rather than to God, it results in burnout and fatigue and complaining and murmuring and all that stuff that goes with it. When we make the cause the primary thing, and when we make the team the primary thing, the same result happens. But when we make God the primary cause of why we do what we do for the kingdom of God, we are energized. 
We are overfilled with the power of God. And it's the power of God that helps us to achieve and accomplish what needs to be done to be his reflectors in this world of darkness. Each team member makes apprenticeship with Jesus their first commitment. They make wiser choices as a result. They live healthier lives as a result. And they become leaders whose lives are worth reproducing. Christ first. I remember the day that we went to visit Betty's grandmother, Lulu Lake, in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, before we took off to go to Europe, because we didn't know when we were coming back. And she was there speaking to us, and we prayed with each other. But then as we got in the car, there was, a, there was an image singed in my mind that I could never get out of, uh, out of my mind. Uh, of, as we were leaving there, they, she was there with tears streaming down her eyes. And she said, do it for Jesus. Do it for Jesus. Somehow she knew that tough times are going to come. Not everything is going to be rosy. Not everything's going to go well. There's going to be times where you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to have no family members near you. But you do it for Jesus. And that spirit can only happen. And that, that energy can only come when you put God first. See what Grandma Lulu said to us. An old pastor named Harold Brown already prayed over us. And we kind of wanted to pray, take your hands off of us. He says, we're going to a place abroad of vipers that are at each other. And we were going to Bible college. <laughs> but he was preparing us for ministry because not everything goes according to plan. Hello? Hello? We need to put God first. Paul writes to the Philippians, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. That before you do anything, you are to ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? Do you put yourself first or do you put Christ first? Then we have those beautiful words from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus first, Jesus. At all times, just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hopefully you get what I'm saying here. There was this comment that was made this week that uh, for the most part, especially in cities now where new churches are built, that they don't have the privilege of having a cemetery beside them. And he was trying to get what, why do they build cemeteries near the churches? Why do we have one so close to us? And when we talk intergeneration, he says the intergeneration is more than from an infant to the old, wherever how old somebody is in our church at the present moment. But intergeneration also includes the cemetery. Because as we drive up to church to worship, we look at the ones that have gone before us. And that ones that are gone before are those cloud of witnesses and they encourage us to keep the faith. We remember maybe a hundred years ago when they didn't have any money to pay a pastor and sometimes the pastors had to come and work bivocational just to make ends meet and to proclaim the word of the Lord. There are grandparents that are there that should ignite your heart to keep on going as they kept on going. They're not there to say, whoa, they once lived. They're still alive if they are in Christ. Do we believe that? 
They're alive because they put God first. First. So remember next time you drive by it and praise the Lord for the example that they have left you and they are giving you today that when things get right and say we can't get through this crisis, they went through crisis and they got through them by the help of God. And the same can happen to us today again. The primary focus of the body of Christ is to be committed to God first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all other things shall be added unto you. See, we are committed to God first before the cause. We are committed to God first before we're committed to each other. In Scripture, God creates order and humanity creates chaos. And without God, human beings will fail to create a just society. Hello? Our world now is trying to create a just society and take God out of the equation. But a society can never be just unless it has God, its moral head, to guide us and strengthen us in good times and in bad times. When you take the need for the reverence of God, we become ingrown toenails fighting with each other in pain and agony if we would only put God first. Great teams are more committed to the cost than to each other. So we're committed to God first, and then we're committed to the cause. Another characteristic of great teams is that they're committed to this great cause before each other. So the cause comes before the team. The cause comes before the Church of the Nazarene. The cause comes before any other denominational title that you have. It's that cause that energizes us, gives us passion to move and do the things that God calls us to do. It may sound disloyal to some of you to put the cause before the team, but the truth is, it's the cause that brings the team together. Hello? It keeps the team together. If you don't have the cause, we just fall apart, just like a bunch of domino houses or popsicle houses. When we put other things before the cause, we compromise God's dream for what his church should be and do. I'm absolutely persuaded that uncompromising loyalty to Jesus the Messiah is a clear cause of what creates a great team. Another way to put it, there is never a great team when the cause is not clear. If we don't know why we do, that's where you get the why there. It's taken from a motivational speaker, quite popular. My daughter put me onto him a few years ago. I even shared this in a Sunday evening service a few years back as well, where he draws this picture of why, how, and what. And the most important thing is the why, because the why is the cause. He says, if you imagine a circle within a circle and around it another circle, these circles represent different ways of thinking and articulating our actions and the innermost circle is the why. And this is what he says. His name is Simon Sinek. He says, the middle circle is the how, and the outer circle is the what. But clarity is critical in teamwork, hello? Everybody on the planet knows what they do. If they make cars, they make cars, right? But fewer can actually artfully explain how they do it. Like, how do they get to the finished product? And very few, even less than few, know why they do it. And some of us will say, well, that's the profit, to make money. And that's not the, car. That's not the why. We don't do it to fit. We don't, they don't do it to make cars in numbers 
and gain a lot of profit. You do it because you love the car and you want to make something that somebody else doesn't have. That's why Apple was successful and Steve Jobs there. And in Christianity, the cause is Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is taken out of the equation of the church's body, there is no body. There is no existence. We just collapse and we fall on each other. And we're no different than any other social club under the sun. Christ is the reason why we do what we do. Christ saved me. Christ loved me before I loved him. Christ sanctified me. Christ filled me with his spirit. Christ invites me to drink from that fountain of the spirit. And it's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's the why of what we exist that makes us a great team. It's not about results. It's not about butts in the pew. It's not about statistics at a district assembly. It's not about filling out sheets that nobody looks at. It's about Christ. 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 Christ created us. Not what we do creates us. Hello? Why do so many people remember athletic teams as the places where they experience the most genuine community? Because there was a clear cause. Talk, of all, talk to all the athletes who were on championship teams. They would tell you there was a clear cause that created that team to be a winning team. And why some of them don't want to retire, and not all of us from this side of the television screen will say, well, they just want more money. No. There's a fellowship, there's a bonding that goes on in that locker room and on that playing field that binds them together that is greater than the money that they make. And the same is for us in Christ Jesus. The church, the early church knew who their why was. The early church knew what gave them the moment, the momentum to get up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. The early church knew that the Lord is my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The early church knew that if I had hidden sin in my heart, I would, I would have, you would not have heard my heart cry for prayer. It is the early church that really captured the spirit of why that we need to recapture today. Of why we do what we do. We don't just give food to give food to the poor and the homeless. There is the compassionate love of Jesus Christ in our hearts that compels us to do it. Because that's what he would do. They were motivated with zeal to get out of bed and to risk even being executed, to die for the sake of the gospel. See, the best teams are always crystal clear about their cause, their why of the exist. Do you understand what you are doing? Do you understand your cause? What gets you up in the morning to come here? Has to be God first, the cause second. You know, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, I have a dream. He did not say, I have a plan. Hello? I have a dream. It starts with a dream. It starts with this cause. It starts with this passion. It starts with this uh, love for Christ and his love for me. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, there is a place to go, not a plan to follow. I have this dream. I have this dream 
where, where all shades of people can live in harmony together, that they can play together on the streets. I have a dream that whether they're from away or whether they're from here, that they will bind together and cook meals together and invite each other into homes. I have a dream with a church, whether people have been here 50 years, 100 years, or just entered the building today. I have a dream that they will know the love of Jesus Christ shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. I have a dream where all our wants and wishes are put at the foot of the cross and Christ can do what only he can do and make us great. I have a dream, a dream that this will become a reality. Great teams are committed to each other other than they are to themselves. Hello? That means the team members come before me as a team player. One person wrote a book, it's going to be out in March, he's going to talk about how narcissism came to the church. How the modern church, narcissism is the belief that, that thinks that you're more important than anybody else. That you are before the team instead of the team before you. You're not going to get far with that type of attitude or spirituality in the church. We're going to watch a clip now that comes from uh, Coach Carter. It's an older film clip. It's only a minute or so. If we can play it and just watch the volume, not too, too loud at the beginning. Mr. Cruz, I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. Thanks, Clyde. Gentlemen, see you tomorrow. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles, and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do something. I'll run suicides, too. Some too. But let's keep count.
before he started a soccer game, he would listen to some of the dialogue going there to psych himself up before the game starts, remember that others are before himself, that it's a teamwork that leads to wins instead of losses. The first team member to pitch in said, one person struggles, we all struggle. If you heard Pastor Betty read earlier on from verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. I think that's where they got the idea for the film as well. This is a very important concept when we talk about the church and we talk about putting other people before ourselves. We are all affected by the struggles and victories of one church member, so we must unite around those that are in need. What was going on in Paul's day, and especially in the city of Corinth, the ones that had the so-called strong gifts of the Holy Spirit brought division and discord and disharmony And they looked down on the people that had what they thought was a lesser gift. And Paul is saying, even the ones that are weak and that you think have a lesser gift, they are important in the body of Christ. It's not that we just highlight the ones that have strong gifts. And sorry that church history has kind of highlighted that in the past. But when we know and understand that to be false, we should not honor that type of system. Everyone is important, the strong and the weak together. We need each other. Even though we are diverse and we are different, we need each other to create this team that God is putting together. And this space in which he's putting it together, for us it's here in Almsdale. The strong are not to abuse the weak. And that's what was going on in Paul's day in Corinth. No one has a right to boast of superiority. I don't care how long you've been here. You have no right to boast of superiority. It belongs to Christ alone. I boast in the Lord. That's what the scripture says, does it not? Paul's message to the Corinthians are founded on the words of Jesus. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And Abraham Lincoln wisely used that during the Civil War south of the border. One pastor said these wise questions. How can we address the prodigals, the nuns? The nuns are the people that have no religious affiliation. And sometimes we associate the nuns with the young people and the millennials. And I was talking to Pastor Betty this week. The nuns are older people too. that have no association with any type of organized religion or spirituality. So how can we address the prodigals? How can we address the nuns? How can we address the formers, the ones that used to come? And how can we address the nevers, the people that have never entered into a church situation if we are divided against ourselves? Hello? What are we inviting them into? See, the tendency to divide and rival groups is one of the most disturbing trends in the body of Jesus Christ. Paul is wanting us to see how much we need each other. Hello? No one is to be disposable. Everyone is to contribute. Everyone is invited because every part matters. Back to Sam Chad. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Hello? There's a TV series called This Is Us. It captures the essence of what team is all about. You can watch it for yourself. It's a family that has come together, even though they're, they're not all biologically linked to each other. But nevertheless, it is a family. And it's called, this is us. It's not called, this is me. 
So when we talk about the church of the Nazarene and Almstead, we don't say, this is me. This is us. All of us, from the youngest to the oldest. This is us. Worse than all, this is us. Conflicts and all, this is us. And we submit to this person called Jesus. And all this show is trying to communicate to us at this, there is a life beyond me. Hello? People got to stop crying to Charlie Brown singer. Why is everybody always picking on me? Charlie Brown's a clown, right? That's how the rest of the song goes. When we recognize the body of Christ as we instead of me, we start to experience a deeper joy. A deeper joy in our hearts just wells up within our spirits because we are experiencing this we. And it's a great experience to have. But when we always say, this is me, and we fall into our narcissistic selves, then there's no deep joy. There's no understanding. And Paul wisely said, a body cannot be one part for it to function. There's no way you're going to buy a car and it doesn't have an engine in it, right? There's no way you're going to buy a car and it doesn't have any brakes and tires on it because you're not going to go anywhere, right? You're not going to buy that. It needs all the parts. It even needs those crazy computer chips now that irritate us because you need a special machine to find out how to fix them and which one's gone on the blink. Every part is valuable to the body of Jesus Christ. The answer is not, I don't need you. The answer for each and every one is, I need you. To the youngest one in the congregation, I need them. So that when I look at the youngest one, I can remember when my kids were young. When I look at people getting married, I can remember when my son got married. I can remember when grandchildren came into our lives. Because all of us trigger memories in each other that helps us to bind each other in one cord, in one unity underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, maximum growth only comes when we all do our part. Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, when you say, I don't need you, you are tearing apart the limbs of Christ. You're tearing apart the body of Christ when you cut the foot off, or you cut the eye off, or you cut the ears off, or you cut the nose off. We are manipulating, decapitating parts that were meant to be one whole. And that shouldn't take place in the body of Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins, did he not? And life is worth the living. Is it not? Life is worth the living because he he lives. He lives. It doesn't matter what life throws at us, but it's worth the living. It's worth going on until I see him face to face. It's worth living. Although we enter the body of Christ individually, when we enter into the body of Christ, we enter into a corporate body. Hello? I might have come to Jesus on November the 4th, 1984, but on that day I entered the body of Christ. I entered a bigger family than myself. When my children were born, they might have been born to to Pastor Betty and myself, but that child that was born into a family, it entered to an Italian heritage family and a Newfoundland family, it entered into a bigger family, did it not? It wasn't just born to be isolated and thrown on the snow piles in our world. It entered into a different family. It had a story. It had a connection. The same is for everyone that comes into Christ. Hello? In his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Patrick Lincioni says, 
Great teams do not hold back with one another. They are unafraid to air their dirty laundry. They admit their mistakes, their weaknesses, and their concerns without fear of reprisal. Great teams can look each other in the eye and tell the truth to make tough calls because they know beyond the shadow of a doubt the commitment of each team member is to God, the cause, and to each other. Hello? What's he saying? Air their dirty laundry, admit their mistakes, admit their weaknesses. Isn't that what the church calls confession and repentance? <laughs> Hello? We don't hide those things. We confess those things. Because confessions leads to purity. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. So why would you not confess? Why would you not repent? When you could see God clearly. Now I see dimly, but there is coming a day where I will see clearly, Jesus says. We live in a crazy world. We live in a world, as I said before, where the strong abuse the weak. That's not a just society, sorry. We live in a world that that, uh, is polarized. We live in a world where each side is unaware of the bigger picture. You know why we're unaware of the bigger picture? Because we're too narrow, because we're only talking with people that are (laughs) like-minded. And as we talk with people that are like-minded... We fail to see what the other people understand and what their people are saying, and we won't cross that bridge to speak to them. Hello, you follow me? So in doing so, our picture becomes very narrow, and it leads to polarization. It leads to us versus them, left versus right in the political field. And we spend so much time criticizing our opponents amongst ourselves that we never have the the unction or the nerve to go talk to them and find out what they are truly believing and say. And what it leads to, polarization, leads to death because we become lone wolves, hello? And you know the saying, lone wolves die, die. Here's something from Rich Velodas, and I'll put Canada instead of what country he's identifying, and it has to do with evangelical Christianity. Evangelical Christianity in Canada is often characterized by a deep desire to have Christianity pervade our culture. You follow me? We say that Christianity should go and be that golden thread through all of our culture, but we don't want Christ to permeate our inner being. Hello, that's wrong. Did you follow that? All the talk that a lot of Christians spend is complaining about the culture and that the culture should reflect us. And Christ is saying, you, you are the ones that should reflect me. I want to enter into the depths of your being, of who you are. And all we want to do is look at the culture. They don't believe in Jesus and they don't care about Jesus and yada, 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 yada. We are to be a symbol of order in a disordered world. So, is there another picture there? I'll close with this. This is a famous picture from the 19th century, a French artist. It's supposed to be Paris. It's the time of the Enlightenment period. The Enlightenment period stressed rugged individualism. 
that we are recipients of that rugged individualism. And that's why we think we can come to Jesus without coming to the body, and that is a falsity. You cannot come to Jesus without coming to the body. And this guy, he, he was very mathematical in the way that he laid out this picture here. The people are almost equal distance apart. But if you notice in this great piece of art that he has done, nobody's talking with each other. Stresses the individuality of Paris of that day, of the Enlightenment period. They're all looking different ways. Even the husband and wife walking down the street, they're not looking at each other. Nobody's looking at each other. Nobody's communicating with each other. (laughs) And one person said that if you were to draw that picture today, you'd probably go to a cafe where people are sitting at one table and everybody is texting and nobody is communicating. Because for them, the individual is before the community. The individual is more important than the body. The individual is more important than the team. And that just leads to chaos, my friends. It doesn't build us up. It tears us apart. So can we learn from Apostle Paul's words here that we put God first, we put the cause before the team, and we put the team before ourselves. And we submit to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as the team comes up, this has a poor job of being a baton. (laughs) But it's a question that an old scholar in the Church of the Nazarene, I think he's still living, Dr. Alex Deasley, taught in Canada, caught in Manchester, taught also in Kansas City as well. He says, I have a Pauline question for you. He says, who's going to be baptized for the dead? And it's not where your minds are going. What he meant is that when an older, people, older person exits this life, who's going to be behind him and grab that baton and carry on the faith of our fathers? Not to say, you know, pass it back and say, oh, I'm not taking it. Right? To take it and to run with it and to be energized by it. Remember those clouds of witnesses. Let us stand.